Hi, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit, and I'm Dr. Lisa. How you guys doing? Oh my God, it's the summer. We're having like record heat waves and stuff like that. You know, it's a really funny thing because on a psychological level, I know a lot of people you know what, everybody, there are no rules, okay? And don't judge people. If people want to go out, let them go out. If they want to go wild, let them go wild. If they want to stay home, if, they don't, if they're not ready to go out, they're not ready to take off their mess, let's just all accept it, okay? So don't give anybody shit. Mind your own business. Wear your mask. Don't wear your mask. Where don't break rules, be respectful. This is important, okay? Because we're all post-traumatic stress syndrome from what the hell we've been through, which is a pandemic and an insurgency. All right. So don't don't think it hasn't affected you, because it sure has. All right. So anyway, uh, first of all, I want to say thank you for listening to Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit on Radio Free Brooklyn. Radio Free Brooklyn is the best station in the Western Hemisphere. I've checked all the stations in the Western Hemisphere, and this is definitely the best one. Um, you know, we are struggling and I mean capital S, struggling nonprofit. So I would, not me, we need help, guys. This is a really important service that we're providing. It's for the whole community. And when you see my guest, when you hear my guest today, Judith Zelkoff, you'll see part of the contribution Radio Free Brooklyn is making with her and her group and her department, she's, anyway, I'm going to tell you about her in a second. Anyway, go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash donate, and like, you know, come on, guys, you know, you, you're getting your, you got your unemployment benefits. This is important shit, okay? So anyway, I have this I have this ridiculously esteemed guest on today. This is really, I am so far out of my wheelhouse, folks. I have someone who is incredibly educated. I don't, you know, I have crazy, I have artists and comedians. I have like a very serious, well, she's not particularly serious. She has a great sense of humor, but I have someone who is a real, real, like real deal scientist. Dr. Judith Zel Zelikoff, I'm now I'm getting nervous, I'm going to mispronounce. I'm not, I'm not going to even be able to explain what she does. I'm going to just tell you basically that she is a professor, an esteemed professor, I can tell by the way people treat her, in the Department of Environmental Sin at the Grossman School of Medicine in New York City. She has over 25 years of experience in toxicology and environmental health. Uh, so anyway, it has to do with like air pollution and um, water pollution, really important stuff. And Judith um, has a lot to do with helping make sure that we don't get poisoned by our environment. And it's super important. When I found out what she did, like, we don't think about these people who are making really important contributions because it's so, um, you know, it's like, you don't, it's really, people are doing things about the environment and, they, and we need to, like, know about it. Um, one of the most important reasons, though, that I'm having Judith on my show today is because uh, we want to talk about the role of uh, female scientists, really, in society and how they are treated. And uh, I'm going to get into this with Judith, but I was just going to tell you my consumer. My consumer, you know, I don't know. I'm not, a, well, we know I don't, you know, we know I'm not that educated. I have a BA in fine art, okay? So, but... Um, 
women, you know, we don't hear very often about the sexism and, well, racism and lack of inclusivity in science with scientists. And I'm just going to tell you that, like, my uh, consumer view of scientists is that they're they're fairly emotionless frankly that's what we that's what we are that's what gets portrayed for us in the media and uh, we're going to we're going to i'm hoping that by the i'm certain actually by the end of this show that we are going to be disillusioned in that but also one of the things that i thought about is you know i worked in advertising and the idea of sexism in advertising is well-known, well-documented. We, we, we are all very well aware of, you know, I mean, we all saw Mad Men or talked about whatever. But we don't really know what happens in science in the same way. And I think that needs to be addressed, and that's what we're going to do here today. Um, I also want to give a big, big shout out to our, one of our sister shows, Objection to the Rule, which is every Sunday at 1 p.m. because Emily Scott, along with her team, Jasmine Smith and Teresa Robinson, have been doing an amazing interview series uh, coordinated with Judith and her team. So uh, they've been doing a lot of interviews and been getting out these really important messages to the community, which is another reason why you should donate to us. Okay, there you go. So Judith, uh, hi. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, hi, Lisa. And I think we need to start with one thing. Um, since we're talking about my journey, call me Judy. Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. You never, okay. You got it, Judy. Um, but Judy, so, uh, I gave a very, very, very brief, do you want to just give us a little thing on a practical level? What, what you do? Sure. But first I'd like to expand a little bit on objection to the rule and what our partnership and what we're doing with Emily and her team. And so a few months ago, um, thanks to you, Lisa, <laughs> we, um, we connected with you and from uh, NYU and our community engagement, and we were actually putting up some air monitors. And we were able to meet you, and you talked to us uh, about what's going on with Emily's show. And so uh, we partner now the NYU Center for um, the Investigation of Environmental Hazards. Uh, we partner with uh, Emily and we bring on scientists from our center. Uh, we had, um, we had uh, Terry Gordon on who uh, has this groundbreaking study on air pollution in subways. We've had vaccine scientists on from uh, the NYU Vaccine Institute talking about COVID. We've had communities on, a leader from uh, North Brooklyn Neighbors in, in Williamsburg, um, and uh, just sharing information. So thank you um, for introducing us, and thank you for this partnership. Uh, that will continue, and I think our next uh, our next show will be on the science of epigenetics, which means you are who you are, why you are, and why you're different. Wow! Um, no, it's really it's it's really great, and um, it's so in line with the mission of Radio Free Brooklyn as a station, as a community. Uh, I also want to let people, listeners, know that all of those episodes are in the archives on Objection to the Rule on their homepage, uh, which you can get through, get to through the RadioFreeBrooklyn.com site. So go there and listen to them. They're up now, okay? Thank you, Judith. So um, uh, just give us a brief overview about what you do because I certainly can't explain it. Go ahead. Just <laughs> Sure. It's my pleasure. So right now, um, I'm a professor, a tenured professor in, um, as Lisa said, in the Department of Environmental Medicine at NYU Grossman School of Medicine. And um, 
I've been there quite a, quite a long time, and when we get into my journey, uh, you may hear more about it, but I've been there since I was in training pants, essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, I started as a postdoctoral trainee in environmental health. And as Lisa said, one of the things, uh, one of our major goals is to look at environmental contamination, these toxicants that you hear about, the toxic agents like lead and arsenic and air pollution and particulates in the air and uranium in the drinking water and all these problems and you know lead in the drinking water. Um, so what we do is in, in my department, what I do is to study those, those chemicals and how they can influence the health of people who are exposed. And so that's the kind of work that I do. I've, I've worked in air pollution. I've worked in communities with water pollution. And I also work with um, underserved populations because unfortunately they're hit the hardest and they're ignored. Mm-hmm. And you're talking and about Native Americans. I know you do a lot of work with Native Americans, a very important, uh, horribly ignored population. Yes. We do. Um, we work with the Ramapo Lenape in New Jersey, and we also work with a number of different communities in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to tell the listeners here, I had to learn about it because I'm a Jersey girl, <laughs> and to tell you about Newtown Creek and, and Gowanus, the Gowanus Canal, and some of the things that Brooklyn residents and neighbors uh, are uh, have to deal with in terms of those chemicals mm-hmm. it's right so. in your neighborhood folks yeah we are fortunate to have people like you and your team working on this um so i just i gave you a uh, i gave you my my consumer view of scientists and how they're viewed and uh, <laughs> and what does that make sense to you what i said that they seem kind of like blank slate um, unemotional people to the consumer in the media. Do, do you so, agree with that? or? So I actually wrote down the word that you used, emotionalist. And um, I have to say that I know a lot of, Very <laughs> a lot of scientists yeah, who, you know, appear on the surface. But I can tell you why. Uh, and certainly you can tell from my laughing and my, what you said about my sense of humor that I, I'm certainly not one of those people. But we have to go through, as scientists, and I'll get into the women, woman aspect of it, which is even more difficult, but we have so much training and so much schooling and so, much, so many boundaries, and we have to really focus. Focus, mm-hmm. focus, focus on everything we do. And we have to be the top. You don't get into a doctoral program. You don't get into the best schools. You don't, you're competing with top people. And mm-hmm. so the focus is really important. And so sometimes scientists can forget their social skills mm-hmm. because they're so dedicated mm-hmm. to knowing what they know and communicating what they know. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not easy, you know, just as Radio Free Brooklyn is fighting for and striving for money to help them, actually, you know, many scientists, especially us in academics, we're constantly striving for money sure. from the government, from, you know, the National Institute of Health, from foundations to fund our research because mm-hmm. without funding and financial support, there can't be any research. So, so we're, we're serious. So there, there's no screwing around. You don't have time to do any, any, you guys have to be serious. I get it. I get it. It is, it is an amazing, it seems like an amazing journey. Um, and I want to hear, hear your, I want to hear, how many years of, uh, of school did you have? Oh gosh. Um, well, I think my journey started in kindergarten. So we had, we had eight years, um, of um, school and then of course four years of high school and then four years of college and then I went for a master's which took me um, three years because I could only go part-time and I had a I had to pay for myself to go for a master's program Mm -hmm. and then I went five years for a PhD 
and full-time and part-time because I also had to work then too. And then I did two years as a postdoctoral training, which is basically an intern. If you equate it to a medical doctor, you get out of school and then you, you kind of play around in the lab and you work with more informed mm -hmm. people. And then, then I made it to a, um, a faculty position at well, NYU. So lots of years, but I, I always think I'm still learning. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's why it's so important to you. But I just want to say, folks, that's a calling. Look at all that <laughs> school. I mean, you have to really, really, really want it. So um, anyway, we are here to hear what it's like for you. What was it like for you as a woman? I mean, you've been around for a long time. You've seen a lot. You've been through a lot. You must have been a young, you've been a young woman as a scientist. So how what what's it like yeah i like to say i started in diapers um uh, to be a scientist to know what i wanted and so my i have a older sister who is very good in taking care of me of course along with my parents and she reminded me that my desire as a child was um one of two things i either wanted to be a hairdresser <laughs> or a scientist <laughs> and so you can see what went out but I started very, very young. Um, I would have pet turtles and pet fish. And my parents thought that I was really, you know, they didn't know what to make of me because when they passed away, by natural causes, when they passed away, I would dig them up and I would <gasps> autopsy them. Oh, my God. Seriously? <laughs> yes, yes. Wow. And so I thought, you know, I wanted, and I did it over time so I could see how they decayed over time. So they, they thought, you know, this kid is, hmm, what are we going to do with this kid? <laughs> That's weird. So, and of course, my Barbie and Ken doll, they all played doctor. And um, they, you know, somebody got ill. So I, I really knew my leaning was towards science. And I also knew, and we're talking about me at four, five, six, seven years old. And I, I always... Um, I didn't want to be a medical doctor. My own personal choice was that I wanted to know why. Mm -hmm. And to know why, you know, you had to, you had to be a researcher, you had to be a scientist. And I guess my, my career was really um, spurred on by the shows that I used to watch, the black and white Turner classic movies of Marie Curie and Louis Pasteur and, you know, while other people, kids were watching Frankenstein or whatever, I was watching the story of dinosaurs and Louis Pasteur, and especially Marie Curie, um, because she was a woman. So, and uh, my favorite toys were dinosaurs. And I guess my parents, you know, had this five-year-old child who knew about Tyrannosaurus rex and um, and Brontosaurus and Allosaurus. So we went through all that. I, I really think, and my parents had me a little uh, when they were a little older, so they had no clue. They had no well, idea. Well, who <laughs> would? That's craziness. I haven't heard anybody. I never, I didn't know any, I've never heard of kids like that, but that's me, so go ahead. Well, it's even more unusual back in the 60s and you know, um, nowadays kids are incredibly knowledgeable, but it, back in the 60s, it was a, I was an outlier. Mm. And so um, it was like, like I tell my students, you know, they say, did you always know this? Because I'm so confused. I don't know what to go into. And I said, I was a fortunate one. I always mm. knew what I wanted. Mm. And, you know, and so it went from there. But let me tell everyone out there, and especially women, it wasn't easy. It was not easy. Mm. And um, in high school, I will tell all that I was not the brightest bulb in the box. Mm. And I would, um, you know, spent more time maybe having a little too much of a good time and not, you know, and this is my story. This has mm. nothing to do with anyone else right. being a scientist. This is my story. Well, it's, I, I just want to say, you're talking about how focused you, I mean, you, you have to be, and you are, obviously, but you're talking about somebody who's, you're talking about a child not being focused, which is interesting. Right. right. And that's why I had a harder time. That was part of the reason I had a harder time. So when I got to my senior year, I said, 
hell, if I want to go to college and I want to go to a good school and whatever, I'm going to have to focus. But by the time you're a senior, it's a little late. So, um, but I can tell you that I enjoyed high school and in my biology class, and I had a lot of biology courses in my biology class, I was the only one in the group who would dissect a frog. So all the boys on my group and team, they didn't want to have anything to do with this. But meanwhile, this was old hat for me. So I was good with that. And then I, I was not, I was not um, really encouraged to go on to college by my um, guidance counselors. And there's another thing, you know. Wow. Don't always think that your guidance counselors are, they've got you. Because they told me I wanted to be an archaeologist. And they told me I wasn't smart enough, <gasps> I wasn't serious enough, I wasn't bright enough. And I was a woman. I was a girl. Wow. So, you know, and, Horrible. but what I said to them and what I said throughout my whole life, thanks to my mom's instructions was, you tell me I can't, I'll tell you I can. So the more I was told not to, <laughs> which didn't always make it fun, um, the more I was told I couldn't, the more I, I tried mm -hmm. and the more I did. And I wanted to ask you a question. How did, did your parents encourage, like, okay, so the guidance counselor is so off, but did your parents <sighs> encourage you? My, my parents wanted me to do anything that made me happy. Okay. And I, you know, I was, I was raised in Patterson, New Jersey, which is a, a very large urban city. That's where my grandmother's from. My New brother Jersey. was born there. Yep, Patterson, yeah. Patterson. Mm -hmm. And a lot of environmental issues. You know, mm -hmm. they were mm -hmm. silk um, makers, mm -hmm. and both my parents died of environmental contamination oh. and smoking. And that's also what pushed me into mm. science is um, uh, all my relatives died of cancer. Let's face it, I don't have good genes. So <laughs> we're, we're, I knew I had to do something. Wow. And um, I'm the first in the entire family of Zelikoffs and Claire's that went to college. Wow. My parents didn't, you know, they had, my father had to quit um, grammar school and help his wow. parents. Uh, they're from Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. His parents, my dad was born here. Um, and so I was the first. But and you did, you did have some adult encouragement somewhere. oh my god totally okay i just want to yeah that and and you must be so grateful we're all so grateful actually your parents <laughs> for that right yes they okay. uh, my father was the type of man that in grammar school when i started playing a flute um he bought me my own flute oh that's and so nice when i started taking swim lessons i won a trophy and he was he just thought his little girl could do just about everything. But oh, the rest that's... of the world isn't always like that. Well, kudos to them then. So um, you you were clear about what you wanted to pursue. Yes. And, and... so what, so what, tell us about the education. Like what happened? What happened when you finished college, uh, high school? So I was only 16 um, when I finished high school and I, I skipped a couple grades, um, but yet, even in, during those times, um, I was very rambunctious and very determined, and meet the teacher with my parents, you know, often didn't go so well. Really? You know, Judy's so smart, but she's, you know, I, I just had my own mind. Hmm. So um, I went away to college, and since I was young, my parents encouraged me to go to a junior college. And I wanted to go to the University of Hawaii, but since I was 16, oh, wow. yeah, they thought, okay, this is probably not good for a 16-year-old. <laughs> or probably so, too good for a Probably too good, yes. <laughs> so I went to a junior college, and um, then my dad, I was 16, just turned 17, and my dad got sick with lung cancer, mm. again, attributed not only to his early smoking days, but to environmental exposures. Mm. Um, he was a plumber, he was exposed to asbestos and many, many other um, how, how did um, How were you treated like um, by the boys? How were you treated by the boys? 
Well, in college... Were they intimidated? Well, there weren't very many girls in Mm pre-med. And that's where I was. And I don't recall being intimidated then, but believe me, through my journey, I've experienced everything that's coming up now. So... Me Too movement, um, I've been through it all. Most of of it was, Judy, you're not smart enough, you're not bright enough, you're not good enough, and not from my parents. Mm -hmm. And did your, but you had your parents encouraging you, which was helpful. Yes. So um, when did you really notice that, you, were you the only female? When, when did when did when did the? I mean, this what? So you you definitely dealt with sexism. Yes. So what? How? What did that look like when you started going to college? Well, not so much in college, but definitely in graduate school. Mm-hmm. And and that was you know. So you may all think that being cute. And being 4'11 is... You're 4'11? Yes, but I have a big presence. You do. Absolutely. And um, so you may all think that that's cute, but I have to tell you that being, you know, identified as cute and being 4'11, that I was not taken seriously. Mm. That was my biggest hurdle. Mm. And um, being serious about science, and being serious about research um, in my early days, you know, it was just not a good thing. Mm-hmm. So I was once told in graduate school um, that I was, um, if I really wanted to be a scientist, then I could not have a personal life and I could not have a work life balance. And he told me, this professor told me, and this is a long time ago, so I'm sure he's not still there that he never even saw his kids growing up (gasps) and he was proud of it wow and that's the kind of person i would have to be if i was serious about science and what did you think do you have children no i had decided early on um very early on although i had a wonderful growing up time with my parents and my sister that if I really wanted to be the scientist and the person and the professional that I wanted to be, knowing me, I would put 150% in whatever I do. Hmm. And I knew that I'd either not be, be able to give the children the time they needed, mm-hmm. or, or I wouldn't give my work the time it mm-hmm. needed. And, do you, and f- yeah. do you feel like that was the right decision? Absolutely. You've always For felt- me felt like Always. that you you got that early on which is po- probably the reason you've been able to make such a contribution to science yeah i i think now it's different you know and i also want to retell a story um of a graduate student that i had and when i who was not as um assertive and women you know, women have to recognize as scientists and whatever profession that there's a big difference between assertive and aggressive. Mm-hmm. And while uh, women, particularly, I was never aggressive. Aggressive is hostile in my mind. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and you know, we've adopt, we've gotten all these names. You know, for women being just as right. assertive as men, we are if I may say it, a bitch, <laughs> whereas men are applauded for mm. their uh, resiliency and their, their assertiveness mm-hmm. in work. So I had a graduate student, and I, I told her, you know, I think you need to be more assertive, and I told her some of my stories, and not being taken seriously, and fighting so hard to get into the graduate school I wanted to get into, and to do everything. And she said, um, you know, maybe that's your generation. But I think that our generation and the men in our generation are more aware. She went on to graduate school to her PhD. She got her master's with me. And she called me about six months later and said, boy, Dr. Zelikoff, was I wrong? Oh, yeah. And it's better. It's better, but it's, we still have a ways to go. I... And I was told many you know, many things. When I got my 
part-time job in my master's program. Uh, the first time I, I studied um, in a lab, I was so grateful. At that point, I would have paid them to take me because I really wanted to be in a lab. And I was told at the interview um, that I was too pretty to be a scientist. <gasps> What, what, what year? Was that in the 60s, 70s, 80s? 80s? <gasps> early. Okay. Very early 80s. 70, no, probably 78, 80. Horrible. Somewhere in there. Oh, makes me angry just hearing it. Yeah. And as he put his hand on my knee. Oh. And so I, that was a very, that was, that was quite the experience. I ended up getting fired. Wow. Um, because I, I only wanted to work. I didn't want to play. Ah. And um, so, you know, it's lucky for me that I'm the kind of person who said, if you think I can't, I'll show you I mm -hmm. can. I want to ask you a question. Did you, did, did all that, um, whatever you came up against, obstacle, you know, with all what people were saying to you, basically, yeah. did that make you question your own abilities or did you... Were you able to maintain the confidence you had in your own abilities? I wish I was able to maintain the confidence Who that could? I had. I acted as if. I didn't know about it then. Oh. But I just thought, you're not going <laughs> to, I'm a commercial. You're not going to see me sweat. You're not going to see me cry. But what I did at home and with my friends were very different. Ah. And I just kept pushing. But no, you know, and there's, now it's got a name and it's called the imposter syndrome yeah and i had it i had mm -hmm. it for many 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 years mm -hmm. but i didn't know it had a name mm -hmm. i just thought it was you know maybe i got to where i was you know in graduate school because i was cute or because i was persistent or <laughs> they just wanted to get rid of me and so they pushed me through but none of that is true Mm -hmm. And I, in, in having a lot of graduate students throughout my career, my many, many careers uh, in science, I realized that it's more in women than mm -hmm. it is for men. Now, mm -hmm. men have it, young, young men have mm -hmm. it, where they don't think they're good enough or they think they've, um, they're not who they are or they've gotten through things. They're an imposter and they fooled people. Mm -hmm. And so I lived with that a lot but you got through it because uh, through your experience you eventually mm -hmm. got through it but it must that's internalized that's horrible um yeah to have to deal that's oh i wanted to also ask you did you when you were you able to advocate even though you weren't taken seriously as you should have been were you able to advocate for your advocate for yourself yes um, I inherited from my mother um, her mouth, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I had to learn how to temper it a bit, but I was, uh, unfortunately, I was bullied in high school, mm -hmm. and I became a cheerleader so wow. that um, I wouldn't have to be bullied. <laughs> Scientist and a cheerleader. That's Ooh. right. So think about social I, I inherited some social skills mm -hmm. and totally not emotionless. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I adapted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I adapted to get through things. So, so guys, look at all this resilience, okay? So, like, you can, I mean, this is such a great example for all of us to see how our own inner resilience, if we stick, through, stick to things, what we can accomplish. I mean, it's really... It's really I, inspiring. So, getting, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. getting to your point on advocacy. So as I, as I matured and as I went through, you know, mm -hmm. where I am now and everything else, I, um, I won an award in mentorship from the Society of oh. Toxicology, and I was put up by my students. Mm -hmm. So most of my students, and I'm not sure why, but most of my students are female and identify as female and or as her mm. she mm. and um they are so i advocate 
for them, with them, and I don't want them to have to ever go through what I went through. Mm. I'm, I'm behind mm. them. I mm. tell them the only thing they have to do is to study, get good grades, and work well in mm. the laboratory, and I will take care of the rest. So that's great. That's great. You're really paying it paying it back. But, um, you know, I want to hear, you know, we were, we are more than halfway through the show and I want to hear more stories about like what it's like for you, what it was like for you as a professional, you know, what happened as far as being treated like a woman as a professional. Yeah. I, I think, you know, again, the many things is you have to really make up your mind that this is what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess I've, I've faced many of the, many of the things um, that I, as I said, I, I just wasn't good enough. Um, I couldn't do it. I couldn't make it. Um, my, every, at every step, whether it's a master's degree or a PhD, you know, I, during my PhD, I also had to work. I worked full time and went to school full time. Mm -hmm. And um, and I faced a lot of a lot of difficulties um, mm -hmm. getting jobs mm -hmm. to help what, with that. What kind of jobs did you get? Were they science related or science? All science. Yes. And one of the jobs I got to put myself through was I took surveys. <laughs> and anything and people were so rude oh. and so rude to me. And, you know, whereas, and I have to say, whereas the, the young men that I worked with, um, the, it, it's hard. You don't wield the power. Mm -hmm. People don't see you as having mm -hmm. the same power. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of seen as a, a fly in the ointment, you know, just mm -hmm. swat her away. We don't have to answer her questions. Mm -hmm. And um, I also, and I don't want to give anything too too detailed or anything, but during my career, um, I was um, I was admonished for a number of things. For and I know that if I was a man, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been admonished for the things. Mm -hmm. I was admonished for not holding a door for someone. I was what? admonished, yeah, yeah, that I was being rude. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I went through a lot of trials and tribulations that I, I really don't want to speak about in mm -hmm. that regard. Mm -hmm. um, but they were hard. Mm -hmm. And many a night crying mm -hmm. and many a night, you know, mm -hmm. um, when I had that job um, with, with my master's, I, I had to actually go to meditation classes mm -hmm. and um, it was all about you know, it was all about getting through. Mm. And I faced a lot of trials and tribulations mm. by being, for being a woman and for wanting something that was considered more a man's mm. career. And still, still, you always face people making jokes. Really? You know? Oh. As a professional, they make jokes about oh, yeah. you as a woman? Well, no, or not like too much as a woman, woman but like, it's just, you know, well, you went here or you went there. Mm -hmm. And I've often said, hey, you know, maybe I didn't go to the best undergraduate school or whatever, but I'm in the same position you are. Exactly. We wound up in the same place. Yeah. And um, so... I wanted uh, it, to ask you about the other. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, please. I, I, just want, I mean, no, what please. about the other? What about the other women? Like, when you were in school, when as working, even now, like, do you? Are there were, were there other women? Are there more women now? Do you guys oh, yeah. stick together? Do you guys, Did you have any support from friends or like? What about that? Well, none of my friends in high school or college actually went on to the same level that I went on to. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of a loner, mm -hmm. um, but I had support. And um, I, I tried to bring women together mm -hmm. and um, give them support. So, you know, as I said, being a mentor for women is very different than just being an advisor. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of things now that women are going through and uh, in, as professionals, as scientists, 
and they think that it's, you know, it's new. It's not new. Mm. And so I'm able to help guide them. Mm. There was a, a, a young woman that I was, that came to talk to me. And I, 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 one of the things that women scientists have to face is, again, being taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And if you get emotional, mm. you're not taken seriously. Mm. And if you get passionate and, God forbid, a tear comes down your eye or something, you're not taken seriously. And so when I was talking to this young woman, I said, you know, I reminded her about the difference between assertive and, and aggressive, that fight for the things that you believe in. Mm. You know, not everything has to be a battle. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to just, you have to just say, okay, is this worth my energy? But never let anyone compromise you. Never let anyone, you know, tell you that you can't do it. That's because you can. That sounds like it must be very healing for you, and also really valuable for everybody that you get to sort of mentor young women about being a woman in science. Like you feel like you've been, you have taken a lot of the hits. You have been on the front lines, and you're able to now kind of use that to shore up other women that must be incredible like your experience is so valuable to help others right you know I never really thought of it Lisa as healing for me but it is it is amazingly healing for me and you know and I remember um well here's another thing um I remember thank goodness in um when I got my first a first job or when I was a postdoc, um, there were two women, older women in the department. I guess older to me because I yeah. was 30. No, we yeah. it's all, age is all relative. We know that. Well, what I should have said is senior women who were no, <laughs> much more old advanced. ladies. I old call, ladies. I call yeah. myself an old lady, old ladies. <laughs> and they took me under their wing. Mm. And I came in, I was a student, you know, and postdocs, like I said, are interns. And I wore my coveralls. Mm -hmm. And they said to me, you know, Judy, if you want to be taken seriously, you're going to have to try to dress the part. Mm. And I thought, I am who I am inside my brain, inside my heart, inside my, you know, I'm a scientist. And why does it matter how I dress? Meanwhile, I saw all these these men, you know, <laughs> in khakis with their shirts untucked and, you know, because uh, scientists in general, you know, they mm-hmm. are so focused mm-hmm. that, you know, I spend 15 minutes looking for what to wear, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> in, my bus- in my business casual. And I think they just, you know, wake up and, you know, and sleep in it or whatever. Right. But it was important for me to look a certain way. And I resented that. Mm. And that's a woman thing. Yeah, I, I totally. That, that I makes totally, sense. And so, um, but I realized when I had time to intellectualize it, which is very important for women scientists, you know, we don't, we think differently than men. Mm. My husband is a scientist mm-hmm. and he is extremely focused. Mm-hmm. And um, he and I, you know, we've had to go through life differently. He's, I see him as, sailing through, whereas everything Uh, for me was an obstacle. mm -hmm. Does he understand that? I mean, I got through that with my husband too a bit, so I'm just asking. Like, I think that's, that, I think that's something that remains unresolved between, so do you, does he get that, or? Now. Now he does. Actually, I was gonna. It took a long time. We're married a long time. Yeah, (laughs) I was actually gonna ask you about if you were married and if it was a scientist, but I wanted to hear a little bit about dating. What would, how did you meet and marry? Uh, what was dating like for, for a woman with your kind of credentials? Well, or? thank you for asking that because it brings up an, immediately, an immediate story, thought. Okay, so my girlfriend and I, she was blonde, she was beautiful, mm-hmm. and if she's listening, she knows who I'm talking about because we're still friends. Aww. And, um, we decided we were going to go to Bermuda. We were going to send ourselves to Bermuda. So we went to Bermuda, 
and you know of course we went to all these local places I mean we were really young and it was our first time away and we had a great time so we'd be sitting at the at the bar mm -hmm. and two guys would come up and um, and they'd ask her you know what she does and and then they'd ask me what I do and I was in graduate no it was graduate school I was in graduate school and I told them what I do and they would leave <gasps> really yes wow and they would go by her she, they, he would go by her wow what did she do um, she was also going for her masters but she was very sweet and giggly and I was a little more serious and uh, she wasn't going for a PhD uh, um, and she also, you know, she she worked in a bakery to put herself through a master's uh, program. So she had other things. But I, I, I went to my, you know, my my artificial intelligence, and that spooked them. Yeah, I could see that. I can imagine. Yes. Do you think guys are like that now today? I think depending on the guy. I think a lot of them are. Too many, <laughs> right? I don't think. I mean, what you were saying before, uh, that things haven't changed, like what you were saying about... Not your, much. And they have not changed nearly enough. Right. And, and I wound up, uh, just to finish the story, Yeah. I kind of, I was, I, I kind of understood where this was going, and I wasn't going to have a date for that night if I kept this up. <laughs> so I told them I was a teacher, which was not a lie. Oh, wow. But I was adjuncting, you know, in college. They could deal with that. Wow. Wow. So wow. I wound up with a date. Wow. Wow. That's like a date that you probably, that must have been so. Yeah, it didn't go well. No, it's no, I was going to say, you must have been sort of like, I'd be like, wow, this guy, this guy can't take it. I just, yeah. I mean, you must have, res I would resent the guy and go on the date, which is always yeah. really fun. So what about your <laughs> husband? Well, it's easier, you know, with a scientist because he understood. Were you guys working together? Um, I was going for my PhD and I was working in a school doing my laboratory research and he was going for his master's in the same school. Mm -hmm. And so I was dating a lot mm -hmm. and he asked me out and I, I put him in the queue. <laughs> nice. And so um, then when things started falling apart, I said, would you still like to take me out? And one of the things, I grew up quite protected by my parents mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, I didn't learn how to ride a bike and Mm -hmm. And he was just this wonderful country boy who knew how to do all kinds of whitewater rafting oh. and motorcycling. And Ooh. so I was smitten. Oh. And <laughs> But the thing that we faced, and I think he would, even if he hears this, he would realize, is that he was working 24-7. Mm. It's very easy to become a workaholic, especially as a woman, because you have to prove you had at that time, and maybe still today, still you had today. to prove yourself more. Mm -hmm. So you had to, you know, you had to be there to write the grants. You had to be there. I mean, you know, the fact that your child was sick or whatever. If you wanted to, back then in the 80s and, and 90s, early 90s, if you wanted to get ahead, you had to compete on that level. Mm. And so he was working 24 hours. I was working 24 hours. And um, I finally decided, so I didn't have to go home because he wasn't there. And he, you know, he's gone really high in his career, mm -hmm. but that's what it took. And so I went out and after my first year of postdoc and I bought a dog oh. because I needed I needed to know that there was something that was depending on me, and I had to get home by 7 to feed her. Oh, wow. No kidding. So, yeah. So I, in many ways, took the behavior of the man, men that I was working with. I saw what I had to do to get promoted and to be competitive. Mm, mm. Not only from him, but the men in the department. Mm. 
And, but I also knew that I was getting sick. Wow. And I needed to have some sort of balance. Wow, good for you. Good, so. good self-care tip there. <laughs> no, but you, you know, it's funny. Have you been in therapy? I have. Yeah, yes. I mean, uh, a lot. In the or, past. Or like brief, I mean, because what, uh, what, what, what occurs to me is um, that certainly on an intellectual level, you have some really amazing, um, <laughs> well, you have a lot of natural resilience, but you also have some really smart coping skills. And I wonder if that's because you've worked hard to figure that out or if that's just sort of natural comes to you naturally maybe you had your parents sound great maybe you just naturally know how to take care of yourself well I was always very self um self-reflective mm -hmm. and so in college uh in graduate school I read a lot of books on self-help mm -hmm. and I went to a therapist when I was a postdoc to learn how to be a professional woman so I went for special counseling mm. because, you know, obviously it wasn't okay to wear coveralls. Obviously it wasn't okay to make jokes and not be serious 100% of the time. And that's just my personality. Mm. So it, it was hard not to be taken for who I really was because mm -hmm. I couldn't get past it. Mm -hmm. Whereas the interesting thing is what I found was that, and I bring up the sh the Petite. We'll call me petite. Yeah. And, and not short. I, I'm height challenged. And um, that tall women are not treated the same. We're not treated the same way. Oh, I agree. I mean, <laughs> I'm like 5'4", and tall women, yeah, with physically large presence. Yes. Yes, that's, that's absolutely, I agree with that. It was so unfair. And yeah. again, falling back to the... You know. I I also want to I also notice that you said um, height challenge or whatever. I don't want you to feel that, like there's like you. I want you to be proud of your height, <laughs> whatever it is. Like you've managed, you've compacted all this stuff into this person. There, no more. Get the, okay. That, we're done with that. <laughs> okay, you, we're we're done with that. So what do you think? Uh, so we have uh, seven minutes left. I told you it was going to it's going fast because you're so interesting, really, is why I think. But um, I just wonder what, you know, since you are so, um, you know, uh, you know, good at being a mentor and so uh, insightful about it, what kinds of things do you think women are struggling with today? Like, what have you noticed about the generation that's, you know, coming up now in sciences? What, that, what can they do? What, what are their obstacles? What happens to them? Well, I, I think, to, you know, to be honest, I, I think that to think that the problems don't exist, the special problems for women don't exist anymore is, is not true. I'm sorry mm -hmm. to say um, that I'm sorry about the phone. That's all right. <laughs> That's what you get when you work from home. Mm -hmm. um, and that is not true. Mm -hmm. You still have to um, recognize yourself. And I'll also say that you brought it up before that what you are inside and what you portray are often not the same thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, I had gotten a plaque from a student when she graduated that said, she be little, but she be fierce. Mm -hmm. And I never saw myself like that. And obviously, mm -hmm. talking about myself as high challenge, I don't completely see myself like that as well. Oh, well, I'm really glad to, yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that. And I love that word, fierce. You're fierce. Um, but also, the other thing I was thinking about is that, um, how how women really make it harder on themselves when they say, oh, it's different now, or it's not as hard as it was. Because I think it's really, and, um, and I've done this to myself in, in my advertising career, 
I mean, I think it's really at certain point, not to make an excuse, but just say, well, it is harder because I am a woman. And to acknowledge that you have that extra struggle and that to have some self-compassion and uh, to like recognize your own strength. That is key. You really have to recognize your own strength you have to do it on your own. You brought up that my parents were very supportive, and I'm very grateful. They were very supportive. They wanted me to be happy. They wanted me to do whatever I could and um, be the best that I could. Mm -hmm. And But the point that I want to make there is, I guess my soapbox is you have to be your own best friend. Mm -hmm. You have to do the fighting. There, I made a mistake in... in uh, in one of my jobs, in one of my faculty positions, whatever, I thought the division director was going to take care of me, which nobody can see, but I'm making quotation marks mm -hmm. with my fingers. Um, and I, he would put me up for things and to be on publications and to be as a journal editor, you know, all of his strengths, mm -hmm. he would help me with. Mm. Well, come to find out, one day I got a call from someone in a department and said, you know, you're the lowest paid, uh, wow. lowest paid person in this department, in this faculty. Wow. It was then that I realized, yes, this was the 80s and the 90s, but it was then I realized that no one is going to fight for me but me. Wow. And I think people, women in particular, have to realize that you have to fight for yourself. But in saying that, as I told this one woman, young woman that I was mentoring, you know, yelling and screaming and objecting, mm -hmm. you know, you really have to think how you're being listened to. Mm -hmm. How are you being heard? Mm. You want to make, you know, and when I had gone for, you know, being a woman professional, I went for some counseling in that regard. Mm -hmm. You have to hear how people hear you. Mm. And oftentimes, and that's not so uh, drastic for men. Somehow right. they're heard seriously. Yeah. But if I'm raising my voice, if I'm acting impassioned, um, then I'm going to lose my audience. Mm -hmm. Is that wrong? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But do we live in it? Absolutely. And so things are changing. They're getting much better. I applaud the, the millennials. I applaud the generations. But I also realize that as I've learned through it is, you know, you, you not only have to hear yourself, but you have to hear how other people hear you. So that is um, a very pragmatic and important distinction. But I also think that um, what you're talking about is like a, an extra level of self-awareness, but also a certain kind of emotional distancing. Like you've learned uh, not to take any of this personally, it sounds like. So you're able to, um, you know, deal with this I mean, it, it's obviously taken a toll on you, but at this point in your career, I mean, and it hasn't been easy. We already, yeah, okay. But, um, but at this point, you know it's not about you, that it's just society. It's just the way it is, and you're able to manage that without, you know, getting angry, without taking it out, with, you know, in a smart direct way and I remember that guys notice that pay attention okay that's really important so okay let me just all right well we're going to we ran out of time oh my god we ran out of time we could be doing this forever Judith I cannot thank you enough this is so much great information for young women of any field because things have not changed enough and we have to own that and we have to cope with it guys and not take it personally and not think we're incompetent and not feel bad about it and judith thank you for showing us that 
Um, You're very welcome. And uh, I just want to remind you to check out RadioFreeBrooklyn.com. Look at all our shows. Check out Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit, Objection to the Rule. And um, I also, um, you can find out more about what Judith is working on if you go to N-Y-U-C-I-E-H on Instagram. Okay, thanks again. Uh, Stick around. We've got great programming all afternoon. Thank you. Dr. Lisa gives a shit.